I'm Dee Malo Roberts, stage and studio on Arts Watch. I first saw Regina Taylor on the TV show I'll Fly Away back in 1991. I admired her presence and the way she could command a scene with just a look and a feeling. That show went on for two seasons and 38 episodes and a follow-up movie, which is pretty astounding by today's streaming reality. She also won a Golden Globe and three NAACP Image Awards for her work. She then went on to act in movies such as A Courage Under Fire and Losing Isaiah, and more recently, TV shows such as the acclaimed HBO's Lovecraft Country and The First Lady, as well as Paramount's The Good Fight and ABC's The Wonder Years, and more recently, the new season of Justified on FX. Regina Taylor is also a playwright who wrote Crowns, which was also done here at Portland Playhouse. And as a stage actress, she was the first black woman to play Juliet on Broadway. And she's writing a new play for the Old Vic in London. And she's going to be in Portland on August 17th through the 20th for Passant Art Theater's Pacific Northwest Multicultural Festival. And she's my guest today. I'm so looking forward to talking with her. Regina Taylor, welcome to Stage and Studio on ArtsWatch. Thank you. Thank you so much. It's so great to, to meet you. When was the first time that you realized or you knew you wanted to be an actor? And what was that first experience? Oh, I, I, I knew I was a writer. I started writing when I was a child. My mother's hand on mine, construction paper, crayons, creating children's books. And that was the greatest gift my mother gave me, was to imagine, draw from your own mind and create worlds from your own perspective. That was very heartening and and very empowering for a little brown-skinned girl growing up in Dallas, Texas. I then went to Southern Methodist University in Dallas and declared myself a journalism major, took an acting class because my counselor said it would be an easy A. (laughs) And while I was over there taking my, my acting 101, Henry Fonda was visiting the school. And I started trailing behind him because I was way too shy to say hello to him. And an agent saw me stalking Henry Fonda. And she said, and and who are you? What are you doing here? You an actress? I said, yeah, sure. She then asked me if I wanted to go on an audition that weekend off of Route 34 in Motel 6. And I said, hmm, okay. Bringing my biggest cousin with me because I wasn't a fool made up a resume, uh, took a picture, went into the room, and I got the job, which was made for TV movie for CBS, starring Joanne Woodward, about the Little Rock Nine. I was one of the Little Rock Nine, the first students to integrate the Arkansas school system. So I got on a plane that, that summer during school break, first time on a plane, went to Arkansas, shot the film, came back, And at a point, I changed my major then to acting. You sound like it just went exponentially for you, but I'm sure it was a struggle. No, not at all. Yeah. Yeah. I went back to school, changed my major, studied. And then after graduating, 
I, I moved to New York and, and starved for a while. It was then coming up slowly, doing odd jobs that, you know, people didn't care if you came back the next day. So you could go out and audition if you need to. If you got booked for a few weeks, then you could take off and, and do that thing. But it was a progression that the community is small, actually, in New York City. And so I, I got my foot in the door through a casting director who kept bringing me in on different calls and worked my way at the public theater then, Joseph Papp, from being a spear carrier milling around in the background to understudy, understudy Alfred Woodard, Map of the World, David Hare's play there, to this company that Estelle Parsons started there. It was a multicultural company doing Shakespeare. So we did All's Well That Ends Well, The M Play, and Romeo and Juliet. And I started with the smallest roles in Romeo and Juliet. I, I started by playing the character of Peter, who had a couple of lines. Hang him, Jack was one of them. Hang him, Jack. And I would stay after rehearsal, going, hang him, Jack, hang him, Jack. Was, you know, trying to figure out how am I going to say it most effectively. And one day, <laughs> Joseph Papp was always there. Sometimes you didn't see him. And sometimes you might know that he might be there because you smell the cigar in the air. And I look up and he's up in the rafters, catwalk, watching this child after everybody's gone home after a long rehearsal day, going, hang him, Jack. <laughs> and from that moment on, he was a, a huge supporter. And as I stayed in that company for a while, I got larger and larger roles until we finally, we had gone around to all the parks except for Central Park in New York. And then we did the Blasco Theater on Broadway. And by that time, I was playing Juliet. That's a pretty incredible journey there. And, you know, I, I really think, especially at that time, it's more common, of course, now to have multicultural casting and multiracial casting. But then it was like, that was like a new thing. Did you think that you would be playing Juliet when you started? No, most certainly did not. Was not encouraged to even think that as I was in school. In school, I played the nurse in, in Romeo and Juliet. And I think I was encouraged to think, as it were, practically. It was entering at a certain time in New York that colorblind casting was first coined at that time that I entered. So I was very lucky to enter at a very pivotal moment in, in theater. Yeah, I think that theater at that time was a, a lot more progressive than, say, the film or TV industry, where it was still, you know, the roles were were few, shall we say. The roles were few and far between, I think, with both. But I, I don't know. I don't know because... I, I grew up on Mr. Sidney Poitier, Miss Diane Carroll, yeah, Cicely Tyson gracing the screen. At a certain point in time, they entered as I began my first breaths. They were out there. And I remember during the time of, inter, uh, of, of before integration that we did not see ourselves on the screen that much until then. Well, we saw ourselves, but it really wasn't us. 
that we were seeing, these stereotypes, flattened stereotypes. And there was this big explosion with, uh, on Mr. Portier coming in and being the first Black man to win the Oscar particular roles. It was redefining the face of, of African-Americans in this country through the media. I was wondering, what was the, the best advice that you got from either a teacher or a director or another theater professional? Yes, it, it is always to find your authentic self, your own particular voice as you, you're journeying through, and, and, and it is journeying, at first you're, you're trying to find it by imitating others. I want to be like, I want to sound like. And, and so you, you try and emulate the best, but along the way you have to tap into just viscerally what makes you who you are that no one else can, can do or be. You're, you're finding yourself in these travels, these jobs. That's a nice way of thinking of them. I, I mentioned I'll Fly Away, and, and that was your first major role, and it ran from 1991 through 1993, and, and I still think about you in that role. It really ha had an impact on me. Just that it was set in the South in the 1950s, there's so many so many issues that it went through, you know, and that your character evolved and grew and had such an impact. What was that journey like for you? I mean, you were pretty young when you did that role. It was very special in, in terms of being on TV, my first TV show. And I knew it was special as we were doing it because I'd never seen anything like this before. And taking this African-American woman, a certain time period, certain place, and giving her a voice, a mind, a heart, a community, usually in playing the role of uh, a maid, it is that you see her hands, her back, her sweat. And, and with this, the, they were brave enough to explore her fully. And so I knew that was really special, and I brought everything to it. My mother, my grandmother, my aunts, the people that helped to raise me, my community. I imbued myself with the truths of the people that I know to be multi-layered, multifaceted. I brought that in. I, I think it was pretty groundbreaking at the time. Because, as you said, the roles could have been stereotypical, you know, and they have been in the past. And I really think that you did break some ground there. And I think it was important. I'm, I'm wondering if you've heard from other actresses, black actresses especially, it, if you've heard from younger generations of, of color about the impact you had on them, especially if they remember that show. I, I do hear from the coming up generation as they are going through their history, what was happening at certain periods and why these opportunities are, are here now because of, because of whose shoulders are you standing on? Just as I understood the shoulders I was standing on. 
I was going to say that because I think a lot of people owe you for standing on, you know, standing on your shoulders because you, you've worked pretty steadily since that show and in movies as well as TV and in theater and, and, and playwriting. What have been your favorite experiences? Most, most recently, I loved Lovecraft Country. Yes, I did too. I, I thought it was amazing. Yes. Uh, that's so much and groundbreaking. I, I thought that series was groundbreaking and all that were involved from Peel to Misha Green being the brainchild of was just amazing. It's even hard to describe what Lovecraft Country was because it was so different, you know. And yes, it was based on sci-fi fantasy, but it was so truthful in the storytelling, in, in historical storytelling. Yes, Afrofuturism and the history, yes. the history of this country exploding. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Of course, I, I love First Lady. Yes, you were Michelle Obama's mother. Playing with Miss Miles yeah. Davis, yeah, just amazing. I, I, I think I've just had such great opportunities. One of the last things I did was Paula Newsom, working with Paula Newsom with CSI Vegas. That was great. I uh, enjoyed that so much with the writing. Mr. Anthony did such a an amazing job with the writing of that piece. Uh, that you're you're meeting these two women who have a journey in terms of how they relate to each other. I think I've just been really lucky with all the characters I've been able to play. Well, what's your work philosophy when you, you know, you get a role and you're on the set or in the theater for the, you know, the first day? What's your philosophy with work? Oh, I I come in prepared. I, I try and prepare myself as much as possible. And then I I leave myself open to the possibilities to have a solid foundation on which I can then improvise and grow is, is what I like to do, to be open to the ideas, to come in with some ideas, but to be open to the ideas of the director. The, if you're talking about theater, then it's so collaborative, the, the direction, but also what happens in terms of the chemistry, the alchemy, the chemistry when you're working with other actors in the room? What does what do the designers bring to it that inform you, depending on, on what you're wearing, how you might move through the skin of the character? I'm also wondering what has kept you going. Because you have worked very steadily for the last couple decades, three decades, in fact. Oh, and yes, yes. Yes. Uh, a while. <laughs> <laughs> so what has kept your strength up? What has kept you going? You know, because I'm, so, you know, because not everybody continues. A lot of people really get discouraged or, you know, they're not getting the work or whatever the reason. I enjoy what I do so dang much. I love what I do. I always say in terms of where I come from, my grandparents starting out as sharecroppers, I say it's better than picking cotton. But it's <laughs> more than that. It is a joy. It is to, to continue to have the wonder of a child. It's play. You get out and you get to play in terms of the acting of it. And that I have different interests that speak to each other with acting, writing, 
directing. They all join forces to live a creative life. And I think that was the mandate of my mother as she was teaching me how to write as a child to that creativity is your survival tool. How are you going to implement that in your life? You, you need to have it in order to make it through. But not only to make it through, but to thrive, to enjoy this time. Well, you mentioned your family. Do you have much family support for going into the arts? It was my mother that gave me that encouragement to go outside. I was the first person to to be in this field. She always encouraged me to follow my dreams, to follow my heart, and that I was born inside a time where all these things that might cross your mind might be possible. And so she encouraged me to go in whatever direction that my being took me, whatever direction you might go in, whether that pans out or, or not, or you're using that creativity. If you can't get any jobs after a certain point and can't pay the rent, is what I was thinking, you can still use the, the skills that you learn and shift into another career. How do you live a creative life? discussions I had with my mother, whether that is drawing a picture or creating a meal or gardening or however you might find yourself to be in communion with someone else. There are many ways to express yourself creatively. And I like that you've listed a lot of different ones. I I was wondering, what are your I don't know, dream roles still, you know, like you ask male actors, especially Shakespearean actors always, oh, King Lear, you know, but I'm just wondering, I mean, you might want to play King Lear, right? Absolutely. (laughs) I I think it is whatever is going to challenge me is what I I really want to do is something that if it's an ordinary person that might not be visible to us every day basis, but they're there finding out the different layers of this person through the course of a piece, whether I'm, I'm writing that piece or, or whether I'm, I'm acting in the piece, so that we find common ground in the arts. We find empathy in the arts. But the person that you think is the other, we enter the space with these actors who are portraying the other, and this community comes around and we go, oh, that's me. That's me. And we make these discoveries and we expand. That is the connection, isn't it? If somebody can see something of themselves from the work that you're doing, that you're portraying, you know, that that is a, a, a true connection right there. I, I, you're going to be in Portland. You're, let's talk a little bit about the Pacific Northwest Multicultural Festival that Passant Art Theater is doing. You're going to be on two panel discussions and also a reading. And let's start off with this one seems like, of course, you're on this panel. On Thursday, August 17th, the panel topic is celebrating our icons together, trailblazers from the past impacting our present and future. And I'd say you're a trailblazer. What what will you be talking about? Or was there some stories that you wanted to bring to that particular panel? Yes, I'll, I'll probably be just talking about my early life in this career and in, in the different facets of it to to now how have things changed and how have things remained the same and how we're fooling 
feeling some pushback even at this moment, those hard-earned wins. You mentioned how things have changed, and in some respects, you know, we are seeing more people of color, more actors of color, more, you know, directors and creative teams of color. I'm wondering, though, what things would you say are the same, especially regarding inclusion? Yeah, well, we're seeing it already in terms of the Supreme Court rolling things back. And with that, there's already been a response, people being fired, certain positions no longer there in terms of Um, those words now being spit out with disgust among some circles. So we, we know that we're on the brink of something and it feels like a pushback to me. I, I, I'm old enough to have seen certain things that I thought I would never see again in my lifetime. Well put, well put. So I know that coming to this next year, we have to be, mindful. You have to move with purpose and determination. Well, I'm looking forward to that panel. Another one that I look forward to is on Friday, August 18th. Is the, the topic is the great Fannie Lou Hamer, the 1960 civil rights activist that people should know more about as well. And she's the subject of the film Fannie, and, but you wrote a solo play for her, right? Or about her? It was a play that I, I wrote oh. for Carthage College. Oh, I see. And engaged students in, in the playing of it. Did it also for Fordham and for the Highlander Center reading zone. Yes, I, I think we should know who she is, her story, her journey from Mississippi Delta to the Democratic National Convention facing down president of or who would become the president of the United States at that time, that she came in there full force right after the death of Kennedy. She came in full force advocating the rights of people of color to vote and to have a voice on the floor of that convention. She also organized a lot of people. She organized, I think, I believe students, right? And also farmers, you know, for farmer rights. Yeah, so she was pretty amazing. Uh, what made you want to write about her? Because of that story. Yeah. It is a story of no matter what, you can get back up and and keep things moving forward. No matter what setbacks, you might have to take a rest for a moment. You get back up and you keep pushing things forward. I, I love her spirit. Everything about that woman. Yes. <laughs> so uh, to make it clear, you didn't write the, the script for the film, but you're in support of the film, Fanny, yes. right? Absolutely. Yeah. Now, on Saturday, the 19th of August, you're doing what's called a celebrity reading, a, a black mix album, a black album mixtape. Is that is that you're the celebrity and then you're going to bring a mixtape? I is have a right? play called Black Album <laughs> Mixtape Resistance. Is, is the subtitle, Resistance, and it takes ah. a series of short pieces about the issues of the day, whether that's uh, gun violence, or voting rights. What do we need to discuss right now? What's on our minds in terms of things that are changing so quickly in this country right now? So it's it's a series of short pieces. I'm really excited to, to be there with it with some amazing folks. 
So you're not reading in it, though. I will be reading it. Oh, okay. I'll be doing, I didn't I'll know be that doing one of the characters. Oh, wonderful. Yeah. Wonderful. Oh, so it's like it's, it is a, a workshopping or a, a reading of your play then. That's great. And so I was just also, I mentioned earlier that you're you're going to have a play at the Old Vic. What play is that? Jubilee, about the Fisk Jubilee singers during Reconstruction, one of our first Black universities in the United States in Tennessee. Well, it's having a hard time keeping its doors open. So you have a band of young African-American students, some newly freed parents that were enslaved, who are on this quest for an education to better their lives, to keep the doors open. They start singing these songs. At first, they're singing arias, patriotic tunes. When they add spirituals to the mix, they take off. And they're invited around the country, invited to sing for the White House, invited over the ocean to sing for the Queen of England and other dignitaries around the world. In doing that, they meet their, their goal of raising this money to help set this foundation for one of the first African-American universities in the United States. It, it is a, a story about courage and sharing where you come from, your roots, even as you, during Reconstruction, you are trying to define, redefine who you are as Black people in the United States. It's what the piece is about. I I, I call it a combination of Chorus Line meets Hamilton. I think Uh, it sounds great. (laughs) Fixed from the music, the songs, that they sang in concert, these spirituals, as they sang it, comparing it to how the enslaved sang it, and then following that thread through how it all ties through to today, American music. Uh, So you have field hollers, you have blues, you have jazz, you have hip hop, all, all encircled within this piece. Sounds beautiful. You know, there's so many untold stories, and it's it's great that you're writing some of them. You know, so much of our history, too, I think, is often so impactful when you tell it in a creative way. I really appreciate being able to see films or TV that give me something to learn, a new theater that gives me something, you know, something I hadn't heard about before. And, and, and it, it, there's so many of those stories and it's like you're an archaeologist, theater artist, you know, unearthing all of this. I'm also working on a piece for this next month, a reading of a new piece called Exhibit that I, I've written and that I'll be performing with Miss Felicia Rashad is directing. Wow, that's awesome. Congratulations on all that. I think it's such an accomplishment. And, and I'm wondering, I asked you earlier about younger generations or newer generations. What is your advice to emerging theater or film TV artists as they go forward in their careers? Yes, to, to build a good foundation that you, you know about what area you're interested in, to, to know about the craft of it, to know about the history of it, to know about different variations of it as you are building your own vocabulary, your own voice is, is one. And to be tenacious, 
and to find how you put together a group of people who will support you in your dreams as you're supporting theirs. So good. So good. Any final thoughts you want to leave us with? Oh, I'm, I'm looking forward to being there. I'm looking forward to seeing everyone's work, uh, hearing everyone's words. Well, award-winning actor, playwright Regina Taylor will be in Portland for Passing Art Theater's Pacific Northwest Multicultural Festival, and that's happening August 17th through the 20th. And it's at the Double Tree by Hilton Hotel, located at 1000 Northeast Multnomah Street in Portland. And there's going to be... A lot of film screenings and play readings and just a full calendar of events. You can see the full schedule at pnmcfestival.org or pass an art site at passanart.org. Regina Taylor, I cannot tell you enough what an honor it's been to talk with you today. And I, I know there are other generations of Regina's now working, but to me, you're the first and greatest. You know, you persevered and you worked for decades in an industry that's, well, it's not necessarily easy. You know, many people have been inspired by your work and they stand on your shoulders. So thank you for this conversation today. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. You can find links to Pass an Art Theater and to the festival on stageandstudio.org or orartswatch.org. And that's it for Stage and Studio on Artswatch. Till the next conversation, I'm Dee Malo Roberts.